Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 11. Today we're joined by Ben Harshine, CEO of Huntera Maps. Ben shares how to identify key land features and how maps can help you create better hunting strategies. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 11. Today, we are joined by Ben Harshine, map guru and CEO of Huntera Maps. Pretty pumped for the show today for a couple of reasons. One, uh, really looking forward to the conversation with Ben. It's been a little while. I've been trying to get him on the show, so super excited to have him. But also, it, we are now currently in November, which, uh, as we all know, as deer hunters, November is the month that we kind of look forward to and circle on our calendars as the time to really hit the timber. I know a lot of us is, have likely been out in the woods uh, for the past month or so, uh, but November is whenever we really kind of crank it up. And I am even uh, doubly excited because I am preparing to leave for my Ohio hunting trip where I'll be spending roughly 10 days in the Buckeye State. I've been planning this for about a year and uh, did some scouting this summer, which I know I shared with you guys on the podcast. Um, And hopefully things will all kind of come to fruition and come to a head while I'm there uh, in the next uh, week and a half, 10 days. But with all that uh, being considered, I think we probably should just kind of cut to the chase today and get on the phone with Ben and uh, see what he has to share with us. Before we get Ben on the line, let's take a quick break for a word about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. In today's Exodus experience, we'll hear from Exodus Trail Camera user Josh Fowler about why he's made the switch to Exodus and why he's a believer in Exodus Trail Cameras. So I currently have about 16 trail cameras. Uh, so I've, you know, I'm familiar with, with all of the brands. Um, I initially heard about Exodus on a, on a hunting podcast. And at the time, you know, I was running all these various cameras and one of the founders, Matt, was, was talking about Exodus and it just struck a chord with me. Everything he was saying about their camera and how they do things differently hit the nail on the head for me. Um, I found out they were actually going to be at that Harrisburg show uh, this past February. So my plan was to go up there and, and stop and talk to Matt and, uh, and pick up one of the cameras at their show. Um, yeah, it's it's a much more rugged camera. You first hold it, and you can immediately tell it's better built than most cameras. It's actually reinforced with metal components rather than all plastic. Their vertical hinge design on the bottom with the latches on each side actually helps prevent water ingress, which is you know a game camera's number one enemy. 
you know, if, if you were creating a list of all the important things you're looking for when you purchase a trail camera, Exodus checks all those boxes. I mean, the reliability, the support, the rugged design, the quality components, the excellent five-year warranty, and their, and their theft replacement policy. So they're they're pretty unique value propositions, exclusive to to Exodus. So it didn't take me long to uh, to become a believer and to uh, be a big uh, advocate for for what they're doing. And that, my friends, is an Exodus experience. If you'd like to learn more or make the switch to Exodus trail cameras yourself, visit them at exodusoutdoorgear.com. All right, we are back and we are joined by Ben Harshine of Huntera Maps. Uh, Ben, it's been a, a little while coming. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast. I'm super stoked to have you on and glad you could make some time to uh, jump on and talk all things Huntera Maps and deer strategies that are related. But first, before we dive into all the good details, how are you doing, sir? Uh, doing well. I appreciate you guys having me uh, on the podcast for sure. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely stoked to have you on. I've watched a couple of your YouTube videos, got a little bit familiar with uh, what you guys do. Of course, been perusing your your site. I actually listened to you on a, on a separate podcast. And um, truth be told, it was one of those things where I really hadn't, uh, I'll be completely honest, um, uh, geographic uh, and, and maps were, were not my strong suit in school. <laughs> and actually, if I'm being real honest right now, you guys actually, this podcast saved me from a, a, a variety of embarrassment in front of my daughter while I was trying to re, refold up a um, a sleeping bag. So I'm, <laughs> I'm appreciative in many ways <laughs> that we are doing this podcast this evening. But before uh, we... I'm sorry, honey. Daddy has business to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But before we dive into the good stuff, Ben, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little... I know a little bit about you, of course, but if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you're from uh, professionally, and then what you also do, of course, in the hunting world. Sure. Um, well, I guess I'll just start from ground zero here. I was born and raised in western Pennsylvania, uh, Indiana County specifically, um, and I, I spent my, my whole childhood there, and then I ended up... <clears throat> Uh, I ended up going to school at Penn State uh, for for five year plan and and uh, I, I know that you, you guys are from Western or you guys are from Pennsylvania as well so it's always good to, to reconnect with uh, my Pennsylvania hunting brothers but uh, anyways I, I went to went to Penn State and um, you know as far as how you know I I really started to get into mapping it was it was right there in school <clears throat> and. I was actually struggling really, really bad through uh, calculus classes in, in, in undergrad, and, and my advisor basically pulled me aside and he said, man, you're going to have to figure something else out. If you want to be uh, uh, an engineering major, you're going to need to figure <laughs> math out or, or, or find another plan. So I started taking some other courses, and I, I got into a course, uh, basically entry, uh, entry to uh, GIS, so spatial analysis and, and cartography, and basically just understanding maps and geography and, and I, I absolutely loved it and it really changed my college career around. Um, so I graduated with a degree in, in GIS but my, my real focus was really not on um, remote sensing or development or, or analysis. It was, it was making good looking maps and designing them and I eventually got a job uh, out of school as a contractor um, in Washington DC area making maps for uh, the military and the intelligence community, and I spent uh, essentially six, seven years in the Northern Virginia, Washington D.C. area. Um, I had a pretty, pretty awesome job. Um, 
making maps for basically finished intelligence products. And um, I'm sure this kind of will lead into another question you were going to get at, but um, essentially uh, I, I, we were in 2000 and uh, let's see here, 2010 and I made a map for my dad for Father's Day being that I'm from Western Pennsylvania, I uh, really have never hunted any agriculture at all. So um, if you would look at the property that I grew up hunting, it was essentially just a sea of green. So if you look at it from Google or any other aerial map, it really doesn't tell you too much. And I figured out a way to really visualize the, the terrain uh, on on that property. So you could see all the elevation changes kind of in a three it was crude but it's still a three-dimensional way and and that was a father's day gift to my dad and it really turned into a game changer for how we approach that property as bow hunters and uh i mean i, I literally grew up there and you, in pennsylvania you can start hunting when you're 12 years old and and um i thought that i knew you know we both kind of thought that we knew that property like the back of our hand but when we could see it all right there um, that really changed the way that we approached some of our stands and, 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 and also some of our stand locations. And that was really wait right when I was starting to get into bow hunting a little more hardcore. And, uh, that map kind of proved to be a game changer. So that was the really essentially the, the, the beginning of, of Hunterra. And from there, it, it really kind of just, uh, grew organically with making maps for, my dad's friends and then and then word of mouth kind of spread and their friends and and uh next thing you know i'm making a little pocket change for for hunting season and, right. and some trips we would take in the fall and i was still working my full-time job in northern virginia <clears throat> but um really eventually after about a three-year span uh, i had to adjust my work schedule and and, and my wife came aboard and, and and started helping me out with huntera and it, it got to the point where we really were faced with the decision whether we were going to commit to huntera or if we were going to stay down that northern virginia you know beltway burner pipeline and it was really a no-brainer i really truly believed in the maps that we were making were, were kind of groundbreaking for for hunters really being able to see that terrain in addition to the cover of your ground and and, and we decided to basically pack up and uh, and moved to the Midwest. I'm a, obviously a fanatical whitetail hunter, and it was really a golden ticket out of D.C. and 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 into the the heart of the Midwest, where we do a ton of business for people. Um, obviously, it's a big part of my lifestyle being a hunter. I'd like to be a landowner someday. So uh, I'm one of the fortunate ones that had a great reason to to move to Iowa. So that's where we're at today, and that's that's basically you know start from 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 ground zero to I'm 32 years old, and that's you know that's we've been here for been here for two years now so nice yeah i've uh i've i've, I've tossed around the question to my wife about moving to <laughs> iowa but she was uh she was less than uh less than interested shall we say <laughs> in moving to well i started with montana so i might have started off a little a little hot on on that topic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh so so it's kind of a, a win-win there going going to iowa and doing the the huntera business i mean you know you're kind of in the in the heart of whitetail country and and get some uh, some monsters out there yeah, yeah, definitely. I've been hunting the Midwest for uh, over a decade now, really focused on uh, Illinois uh, initially, uh, made uh, one of my best friends in my life, uh, met him out, out here, and I, I, my dad and I started hunting with him, <clears throat> and really hunted 
Illinois a good bit, and then we started to travel into to Kansas a little bit. So I never really hunted Iowa until I became a resident here. And, and actually, the first year that I moved here, there's there's stipulations on how long you are a resident. Right. You know, the DNR really cra- um, is 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 serious about who's a resident and who's not, so that nobody milks the system. So I wasn't even really able to hunt my first year I was here. But I've got two seasons in here now, and and they have been uh, they've. Well, this is my second season, um, but last year was truly my my most rewarding season, and I I, I did not kill a deer. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 great to to be out here, and they're certainly not around every tree. That that that's that's fact. Right. Um, there's there's some unpressured ground, and when there's unpressured ground, you know, you have a better chance of controlling the. Uh, controlling the stakes of, of what you're doing and how you're affecting the deer that you're you're competing. Sure, sure, absolutely. So how how's your season been uh, this far so far in 2016? You know this this uh, this season has been uh, it's been good so far. Uh, last year I I chased a specific deer. I got access to a, a great property here. It's essentially a cattle farm. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's basically a big draw that goes. Uh, that cuts across the the center of the farm and it's CRP to the north and south and, and there's cows in there in the summertime. Um, thankfully, this farmer doesn't like to leave the cows in there too late into the fall. So what you get with that is uh, basically a pretty, you know, as far as mature deer, I really wasn't getting much on camera in the summertime last summer or this summer, mm-hmm. um, but I'm starting to see a pattern. When those cows come out and the crops start to get cut around, this farm really kind of transitions into a fall hunting farm and I'm okay with that, not getting pictures in the summertime and then seeing, you know, different bucks show up right around, right around October. So last year I I chased uh, an awesome buck. I actually named him pork. My, my dad's nickname is pork and and him (laughs) and I, him him and I sat together. My, my very first sit here in Iowa, October 2nd, he was, he was here working on, uh, he was working on helping me work on the basement of the house I bought and we decided, you know what, let's go sit together. And, and I mean, uh, sure enough, we, we encountered this deer opening night and uh, basically just a real high, clean 10, um, but heavy duty as far as body size. And uh, so I named him Pork. It was pretty fitting. And, and I, I ended up encountering him from the beginning of the season into postseason um, eight times. So I encountered him six times hunting and then two times when I was on the property not hunting. And... Um, uh, so I, I, I had a lot of confidence that he survived, uh, the winter, but in the summertime running these cameras, I just could not pinpoint them. And, and, uh, interesting enough, and this is kind of one of the cooler things that's ever happened to me in my hunting career. I, I sat, uh, I set a camera for this deer. Um, the, the first picture I got of him was October 7th, about 1030 at night on this one scrape. Uh, so in su- late September, I set a camera there in that specific part of the farm for him, thinking maybe he'll come back if he's habitual. And uh, I-, I was really, I couldn't even believe it when I checked the cards on the 10th. He came literally 365 days and one hour earlier than <laughs> when I first got a picture of him, he showed back up. So October 7th, 930 in the, I- at night. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's game on. I've got him on four cameras now on, on the farm. I've yet to see him in, in daylight, but 
uh, I'm going to be putting all my chips into to, to putting this specific deer down. It's a great learning experience. Nice. Yeah, I have there. There's one on our farm. Um, I call him Dirty Harry. He's a big, big, wide six point. You know, for Pennsylvania, he's not super heavy in mass, but he's probably the oldest deer. I've mentioned him on previous podcasts. He's probably the oldest deer we have on the farm. I aged him last year at about three and a half. I'm assuming he's probably four and a half this year. If I was, if I was correct. And as you know from being from Pennsylvania, if you get a deer that's three and a half years or older in, in PA, that's uh that's that's an old deer for this area. Um, so, and he shows up usually, um, this coming weekend. So I have some cameras placed where I caught him last year during this weekend, hoping that he's, a, as you mentioned, habitual and kind of slides by that same, uh, around that same date. Um, cause then I know kind of what he uses as far as his travel corridors once he hits our farm. So then I'm hoping later here during the uh, second week of the season, I can hopefully, I can hopefully get on him. So we'll let, that's the hope at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to, to see you almost, it almost blows your mind, but you think, uh, these deer, when they become, I mean, especially in Pennsylvania, three years old, four years old, five years old, and out here in Iowa, five, six, seven, they've survived mm-hmm. their survivors and, and they're doing things in their life. That's keeping them alive. Why, why change that up if they're, unless they're pressured to change it up. So, um, it, it's, 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 it's wild to think, but it also makes a lot of sense. So good, good luck. What's the name? Dirty Harry. You said <laughs> dirty Harry. Yeah. Well, since, since I'm Great Clint name. and I was named after Clint Eastwood, I went dirty Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. So you mentioned a couple things there that I wanted to, I wanted to kind of touch on. So the one thing that I thought was interesting was, you know, the fact that the way things kind of kicked off with Hunterra was you were making your dad a gift and and that's awesome. I mean, that speaks to like our hunting heritage, you know, through and through, um, that, that was, you know, you started this outdoor company, you know, based on building your, your father, a gift, um, who I'm sure is the one who kind of got you into hunting and was a big part of, you know, what kind of started you down this, this path. So, but the one thing that that struck me was it was a question that I have because I've this year I'm branching out for the first time for a whitetail at least to a different state and going to Ohio and hunting some public land. Um, so prim- primarily the land that I've hunted in Pennsylvania has been a family farm of ours, and I'm you know intimately knowledgeable of pretty much every nook and cranny of that of that farm. But what struck me was when you said the the piece of land that you've been hunting most of your life, you know, with, with your, with your dad and you built this map for him and it just allowed you guys a different perspective of this land that you thought you knew. And it opened up so many different doors or different ideas about how to potentially hunt that land. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how valuable, uh, these types of maps you're creating, uh, can help a, a, a hunter who is hunting the same land year over year and how they can, you know, bring new learnings to life using these types of maps. Sure. Um, and I don't necessarily want this to be a huge product pitch as much about Huntera as it is about using maps to become a better hunter. But right. um, essentially what we do is uh, we in, in the foundation of really how this all started is being able to show when you look at an aerial map, it only tells you so much and it's telling you the cover what is on the ground and what is growing from the earth on that property, whether it's trees pasture field there's a stream there there's roads and houses it's a picture and that's that's critical but there's another dimension to that that is even more critical especially uh, whenever it comes to habitat that maybe from a from um, a, a, a vegetation perspective doesn't have as much diversity and that's that's being able to pinpoint and understand terrain and, and how the elevation changes on a property are affecting uh, an animal's decisions on how to move th- uh, about it. So um, 
really our goal with Hunterra is to to combine a, a, a high resolution current image of of your property and then add terrain into that. Uh, and there's a couple ways that we we show that terrain. One is one is with uh, with shadowing. Essentially, we make a 3D model and then we put the two together. So. Uh, you can naturally see, without being an expert map reader, you can naturally see the ridge lines and the ditches and drainages and saddles, benches, flats, all the elevation change. You can look at that map and understand that, that place is higher than 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 this this area over here. And then on top of that, and this was really a game changer a couple of years ago when we when we launched this new feature, is the ability to add topo contours at really fine defined intervals. And from the beginning. When I was growing up, I'm, I'm consuming all this information that that I I can get my hands on to become a better ho- bow hunter, and and the the common theme that was popping up was is the experts saying you've got to get an aerial map and you've got to get your standard USGS topo map and try to look at one and then correlate that with the other and 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 diehard hard hunters can no doubt do that but but when we put it all together and make that hybrid that really was a, a huge game changer to be able to deliver the ultimate package for, for the hunter to understand not only where your cover funnels are, which we'll get into, and, and the habitat features that are going to um, have, have an animal uh, move through a property, but also the terrain features and the terrain funnels that are going to alter movement as well. So um, that was really the, the foundation of, of the, and, and the problem I was trying to solve with, with my business was to be able to put that all together in one cohesive package, and that is your go-to, if you're a hunter, this is your go-to map. Right. So when we're talking about aerial, I guess aerial would be the the Google Maps version, right? Just to make sure that we're... Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, just to just a, a mapping 101, uh, your aerial that people talk about is what you see on Google Earth, uh, Google Maps, Bing, um, you know, you go to the county to, to, to get a map from your courthouse. It's going to be a, a black, most likely a black and white picture. That's your aerial map. It's it's literally uh, an airplane flies over the ground and takes pictures. It's a picture of the earth or it, on, like on Google's case, it's satellite image. Mm-hmm. Um, there's So there's satellite image sources as well. So it's just literally a flat picture of the earth. And then on aside from that, when we talk about topo maps, that is not a, a picture uh, per se. It's it's literally a set of lines that, uh, when compiled together, show you uh, elevation measurements on the property. So one line that goes around uh, th- that's connected is is all a line of the same elevation, and then the next line is is a is a difference in elevation. So when you when you start to look at the the topo map, you can understand. You can start to see patterns where if the lines maybe are tighter together, that's drastic elevation change in a, in a short uh, amount of distance uh, and as opposed to if those lines are farther apart, they're, uh, they're, they're, it's more of a gradual elevation change. Mm-hmm. So those are really kind of the two that we're talking about here, aerial versus topo. 
Okay. So I think, you know, as I mentioned at the, at the beginning, my, 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 uh, map and geographic skills weren't, weren't great. So, and I think this might be helpful for listeners too. It's like, what if we just take a scenario or a situation as if we're going to hunt a piece of property that, you know, that you've never been to and let's start kind of like from the beginning and I guess kind of, kind of walk us through, I guess, first, how you're using these maps to, to plan your hunts and, and what are you looking for, you know, whenever you're looking at, at your, at these maps? Sure. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a big question, but I guess I'll take, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take, I'll kind of take a stance at, at how I approach this piece of property uh, when I got access to it a couple years ago. And, and really the things you want to look for, the, the goal when you look at a map is, is really to try to pinpoint uh, a handful of different things. One, you want to just start to understand where is their change. And when I talk about change, that's change in habitat type, that's change in elevation, that's change as far as where you think deer would feel safe as opposed to where maybe they're being pressured. So if you're in the middle of farm country, you know, you're maybe not as affected as if you're looking at a map and you're hunting more of a suburban feel. So I look for change, and, and a lot of times the word edge comes up when, when we're strategizing as bow hunters. Edge and change just kind of goes hand in hand. Right. Edge, edge is really um, where it's literally the, the defined area where there's change. So that can be uh, the edge of where timber meets a, a hardened agricultural field. It can be where old, grown-up pasture meets um, maybe more of a, a cleaned up kind of CRP area. Uh, it can be l- literally as, as, uh, as harsh as a, a, a fence line that's cutting through the middle of a big open area. It can be where, uh, and, and this is where edge kind of comes into, um, kind of comes into my world a little bit more where there's terrain change. Mm-hmm. So right away I look at the map and I'm just trying to literally circle and identify where, where are there differences on the property and where is there consistencies? And those, those differences or that, that edge is really important to me because just animals in general, especially whitetails prefer, prefer change and prefer edge. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many times have you sit you know, sat there and, and, and watched the field edge instead of those, those deer coming right out the middle of, of the timber and coming straight out into the field, they use the edge for concealment or they use mm-hmm. the edge for some sort of communication, whether maybe it's with scrapes or, or they're just starting to get comfortable and stretch themselves until they get out into the open. Um, so I'm looking right away at, at, okay, where is my, where are these, these areas that could be of interest to, to deer from, from a movement standpoint? So that goes with habitat changes and cover, looking at, at the aerial features of the map. And that also goes in line with the, the terrain features as well. When you have a map that has topo lines on it, you, you can start to see where your, your, uh, your steep changes are and then your, your more gradual areas are. And, and we can get into those features specifically and how you hunt them. Um, so I'm looking for change. And then another thing I'm looking for is access. You know, um, the you can have a smoking property. Uh, one of the the issues I specifically deal with on my the farm that I'm on, I don't have access from any place other than the road that is the north line of the property. Mm-hmm. So regardless of how beautiful 
uh, and how gnarly and thick and how great of a hunting farm that is to the south of that road, the fact is I can't approach I can only approach those areas certain certain ways. So when I look at the map, I'm really trying to understand. Okay, once I start to pinpoint where um, where I'm, I'm seeing some interesting places on the map that that I would like to scout, and that's a big part of all this. It's, the map is not the only answer, but what I'm looking for is is how am I going to literally walk around this property and access it? So that that's another big thing, and 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 whether you have a property right now that you just got access to or you're looking for properties or maybe you're 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 scouting up a couple different pieces of public ground that you're going to go on a on a rut vacation with and, and you you want to make you know you want to pick the right one that's going to allow you you know good success and good entry entry and access is is huge right. so those are really kind of the two things right off the bat that I look for <clears throat> and then once I start to understand okay these are where areas I'm going to have to access the property, which means this is where I'm going to be putting pressure. I really try to understand where, what areas do I want to go look at and ground truth what what I think would be interesting, you know. Right. So that's that's really been my process for for a while, um, and you know, alternatively, uh, the the property that I hunted in, in Pennsylvania, I grew up on. When I made that map, I was already. I was already, you know, 10 years deep into hunting that, that property with my dad. And he had, you know, we had sets that, that were growing into the tree, the tree. I mean, <laughs> they've been there for so long. Right. Uh, but I'm looking at, you know, once we looked at that map, we understood, man, that ridge doesn't really quite run exactly west. We, it's more, it's running more northwest, as silly as that sounds. You right. know, we can finally see that the way that that ridge kind of curls around. And, and if we were hunting maybe, a specific stand on a straight west wind, you know, and now that that, that that we understand how that ridge goes a little bit differently than what we thought, we're, we're altering, maybe making, twe- you know, small tweaking adjustments. So um, it's all really about just being able to look at that map and, and, and determine how you're going to attack that specific property. Right. You'd mentioned, I guess, two two things throughout our, our conversation so far. And, and one was elevation change and how you, you might suggest whenever you're looking at the, the maps and reading the, the, the topo lines, uh, the topo lines specifically, you know, how you would kind of, you know, in, in looking at those kind of figure out what area you might want to be, might want to be heading to or what area might be a good area and how deer would, would use that specifically. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit more? This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Decova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
Yeah, definitely. Before we get into that, what I'll do is th this is a this is a wild example, and I've used it before, but it, it works really well. And I think what's really important is that we as hunters are all calling um, features the the correct features, you know. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a guy explain you know this is a draw or this is a saddle or this is a spur and it, it's not the same terrain feature than maybe what my my other buddy was talking about <laughs> right. so if you just to give you another kind of adding on to that map 101 that we talked about earlier if you would make a fist like you're going to punch yourself in the face and this sounds insane but if you do it <laughs> we can start to lay out some of the major terrain features that are important to us as hunters so basically if you're looking at your fist all of your knuckles that are in line, okay, that, that whole set of your, your, your knuckles there, that's, that would be a ridge line. So that's going to be the highest area, that's going to be the, the, the highest stretch of ground that extends in, in one area. As you, as you go from each, each knuckle, which is the highest at its specific part, is, is a hill, and we all know what a hill is. Right. You know, that, that's, that's pretty easy. But then in between those hills, and this is really, this is really where we started to, to get um, get really successful in Pennsylvania, start to identify what is called a saddle. Mm -hmm. Saddle is going to be that low spot in between where your hills are. So in between your two knuckles where it dips down, that's a saddle. I can uh, identify one specific saddle that we set up on after that map and we both killed bucks for that same year. So, nice. um, so there's your saddle and, and, uh, whether you're in Pennsylvania or you're in Kansas or you're in Iowa, from from if you're hunting a saddle, most likely there's going to be uh, a draw coming off of that, and that draw is basically the crease that's in between your two fingers that come off the side of off the side of that saddle that's in between your knuckles. So that that would be your draw, and those draws are, are essentially drainages that you'll see uh, in in hilly ground or or ground that has elevation change. Water when it rains, it has to go somewhere. And it eventually, through time, carves its way off the off the top of the the ridge, and it drops down into what is called a draw, and it just continues to carve. And some people refer to them as ditches as well, because sometimes they can be really, really drastic. So right. a drainage, a ditch, a draw—it's really kind of all the same thing. Um, and then what's interesting, though, and this th these can be some pretty smoking hot uh, places to set up on each side of that that drainage or that draw is going to be a spur and a spur is essentially a lot of people call it a secondary ridge it's basically a little ridge that comes off the side perpendicular of a main ridge so this is probably a lot to grasp if you're if you're listening to it but if you look at your hand it can tell you a lot about uh, what terrain features can be valuable to you as as a hunter um, obviously the side the side of your hand which is straight up and down that's a that's that's a steep drop off that's going to be a cliff okay cliffs can be uh, there's a specific cliff that I identified this year on my property um, that I'm going to set a, a stand up and it's going to be more of a running gun because it's so deep and I would be affecting so much if I would go in there and try to hang it now and then hunt it a couple weeks from now that cliff though is basically drops off and there's a creek bottom there and it's just a big rocky shelf essentially and by default when you see something like that deer animals cannot they're either going to commit to one side of it or the other that can be really beneficial for you to understand where you're going to see a solid pinch point you know so um those are those are the main terrain features i'm not sure which one I want to dive into specifically i mean you guys are hunting 
your properties are probably rolling a lot of rolling hardwoods and you're probably hunting some agricultural land as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, our, our farm is, uh, just for background for you is just about 240 acres. And I'd say 40 of that is, is tillable. And there's a mountain on one side and we have, it's kind of funny. I was looking at my fist as you were talking through and I was looking and identifying each feature on, on the farm and, and you pretty much hit every one of them. And I've seen deer and have had, had success in those specific areas that you're, that you're talking through. Um, but yeah, you're correct. It's like we're, we're hunting a lot of, at least my area is a lot of, uh, you know, big timber. Uh, there's agriculture, but there's not agriculture like there is out in the, uh, out in the Midwest, sure. you know, nothing to that, sure. nothing to that degree. So, I mean, can I, now that we've identified the different, the different land features and habitat features that we might want to look for on a map, let's talk a little bit, I guess, about how we might use those land features to set up to, to hunt and, and, and talk about how deer use each of these features. Sure. Um, well, you know, I guess we would probably start off with, um, where, you know, of those features, when we talk about a ridge, we talk about a spur, um, or a draw, like where, where would a good spot be once you identify one on the map and, and when you're looking at your fist, that doesn't help you when you're looking at your map. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about what, what does that look like on a map, those features. So your ridge line. Well, if you're looking at a at a topo map, the only way you're going to be able to tell terrain features on a map is by looking at a map that we would make, or you're looking at a traditional topo map. Either way, there's going to be topo lines on there, and what you're looking for with a ridge is essentially lines that are kind of running all in a straight line together throughout like the region of the property. So not a very tiny specific spot that would probably be more a spur. I guess ridges can be really small, but in general, you're going to have a main ridge line that's 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 part of your part of the property. So those lines are going to be all running together, but eventually on each side of that ridge, it's going to start to drop off. And at the end of that ridge, at that point, it's going to start to drop off. So where I look and this kind of goes back into if you're if you're thinking from a change or an edge perspective, where is there change on a ridge? And really where I would say one of the most interesting places on that is is at the very end of a ridge where it comes to kind of a point and it all starts to drop down at one time. And really what you'll see is is those lines running together, but once they get to the head of that that ridge, uh, the lines will curl around so you'll basically see like the end of the finger of the ridge and they'll probably those lines will probably get a little bit tighter as it drops downhill signifying a, an elevation change those points can be pretty deadly especially because when you're at the top of a ridge or almost at the top you can get a pretty darn good um, you can get a consistent wind so you look at your weather app or you you, you watch you know you get your you get you understand what your wind is going to be for that night or for that morning and the end of those ridges or on top of the ridge, you're probably going to get a consistent wind, which is really important from an access perspective, but also throughout the day, you know, what's what your wind is going to be doing. So if you're hunting the trail and, and a lot of times when you look at the end of that ridge, you'll see trails on either side of that ridge basically meet at that point. So you got deer on one side of the ridge. And then if, you know, if they tried to look over, they'd be looking into the, the, the side of the the hill or the ridge on the very other side of that where they, they couldn't see. There's probably another trail where deer run at the very end of that ridge in, in, where it meets a point. There's probably going to be a, a, an area there where those trails cross. 
and that can be a pretty dynamite spot. Um, now, along that ridge, and we talked about the knuckles, you know, you're eventually going to have rises and falls along that ridge corridor. And, and anywhere it drops is really called, a, a, we call that a saddle. The way you identify that on a map is uh, dependent on how drastic the saddle is. There are, uh, there can be hills really in between them. So you might see like a round area. You might, see, you're looking at your main ridge and you identified that. And then you might see circles or areas that, that seem like the, the lines kind of come up and, and all gather around a specific area. And then it looks almost like an hourglass in between that and another hill. Well, um, those round areas are, are the highest points on that ridge. Those are the main hills. And then in between is a saddle. And it almost looks like an hourglass. So if you're looking at a top of map and you can identify where there looks like lines come together and pinches in the middle, like a like a bottleneck or a or an hourglass, that's a saddle. And by default or, or by their nature, whitetails are pretty lazy creatures. And, and sometimes whenever they want to get from one side of the ridge to the other side, instead of going all the way to the end or climbing the steepest spot, they're just going to use that that they're going to use that saddle. There's no need to waste energy if they walk. A little bit farther, they may, may not burn as much energy trying to get to the other side by climbing a steep grade. So those saddles can be pretty dynamite too. And what's neat about those is you can set up uh, either side of that saddle. If you've got enough stands or if you've got maybe a, a climber, you can identify, okay, here's the saddle. If I've got a, a south wind, I can get on this side of the saddle for the trail that's coming across or vice versa. I can get on the, the south end if I've got a north wind. So um, those saddles can be pretty interesting too, and they can be pretty deadly primarily through, I mean, depending on where your bedding is and where your food is, um, and, and what time of the year you're hunting, those saddles can be pretty dynamite. So, so um, would there ever be an instance, cause you just mentioned setting up the, the, your stand locations on either end of the hourglass, but in an hourglass shape, you would pinch in the middle. Would that then, I guess, create your a natural pinch point there that you might maybe consider on the correct wind, of course, kind of sitting in the center of that? Or is that kind of a, a no man's land area? Yeah, you, you know, it's uh, it, it definitely can be, I think. And this kind of gets into really micromanaging that specific part of uh, that specific stand site. Mm-hmm. Some saddles can be 30 yards wide. Some saddles might be 70 or 80 yards wide i would look for those saddles that are tighter that are more confined that are maybe gonna um inhibit a little bit more of a drastic or specific movement through so um that all of this what we're talking about is really the idea of funnels pinch points bottlenecks they're all the same concept basically what we're looking for are features that deer are going to use because it's easier from to get from a to b right so so um, we kind of walked through how you would identify a saddle on a map so if we're talking about draws and i'm going to go back to the lesson you just gave me so the draws then would be the areas that would be below the saddles running in between two uh two ridges correct or it would be like a a a drainage cut or something of that nature right yeah so how would we go about identifying those particular features on a on a topo map yeah, so those are going to be really pretty easy to see if you've got any. If you identified your main ridge, uh, those drainages or draws are going to be uh, coming off the side perpendicular or near perpendicular, kind of against the grain of the way that ridge is running. And it's almost going to look like, depending on how drastic that draw is, 
it's almost going to look like a, a a bird's beak is jutting into the side of that hill. It's going to be uh, a really hardened, almost V shape uh, going a, a, a along all the way up until it meets the 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 very top of that ridge, and it's going to be the tightest right there. It's literally going to come to a point or like an arrow. So I always kind of describe it as a bird's beak because it can be pretty long, mm-hmm. um, and and essentially that that runoff. And that draw and drainage is going to get wider as it goes downhill. So if you can identify this is my my ridge and my one high elevation and then, oh, I can tell that those lines are starting to drop down over the hill. And and you know just by looking at your aerial, there's a river down there, there's a creek. And then, you know, on the other side of that creek, which is always going to be the lowest part of your property, uh, the other side of that creek is going to start to go back uphill. You can start to really understand, okay, this is the way that this property lays. And and coming off the side of that ridge, whether it's a draw or a bench, which is what we we haven't talked about a bench yet, which is you just read uh, you just read my mind. <laughs> yeah, th- this this leads into the the bench, uh, which can be a dynamite spot as a, as a especially as a, when you're when you're hunting in the timber. But those those draws before we get off that subject is going to look like a beak. And a lot of times what you'll see are trails, um, depending on how deep and drastic those ravines, that, that ravine is in that draw, a lot of times you'll see a trail at the very head of it. So it may be off the side of the ridge a little bit, but right where it meets that peak, you're going to see a, probably a pretty defined trail uh, going uh, in, uh, on, uh, around that thing. So deer don't just want to drop down into a ditch and then come back to the other side. I've seen plenty of deer do that. In, in, in fact, the, the buck that I chased last year, uh, I, I grunted him over, and he did not use the, the easy way, which is you know up, around, and then back down. He literally jumped over the ditch uh, because he was the man. But right. in general, <laughs> uh, the, these deer will, if they're not pressured and they're just kind of going about their business, they'll probably use the head of that, that draw to, to move. A lot of times you'll see trails on each side of that draw as well. And you can almost treat that draw as its own creek bottom where um, maybe there's really sharp, drastic cliffs on the edge of that draw. But there's a there's one part where it's maybe a little more gradual, where it's a little easier for them to get from one side or the other, especially if they're down low. Uh, you can maybe find a crossing down there. And that, that can be interesting as well. So um, that's the draw. And then that kind of leads right into our, our, our benches, which sounds like you wanted to talk about that that bench is basically a flat area on the downward slope coming off a ridge or coming off a hill. So you'll be seeing, if you're looking at it perpendicular, you'll be seeing a pretty drastic drop and then a flat area. And then it drops again. And that that flat area is really um, like where I grew up hunting. On those flat areas, back in the day whenever they logged the property, those were always old logging roads. Yeah. So, um, you guys are in, you know, in the same habitat as that. I mean, those are probably old logging roads or, or if you know, a property was logged in the past, those are probably going to be areas literally carved on the side of a hill that provides, and might only be eight or 10 feet wide, a flat area from a bedding perspective. And from a travel perspective, that is good for deer, especially mature bucks really like to bed uh, on, on any sort of flat surface for them. So, um, that bench, if you're looking at it 
if you say, okay, I, I know what a bench looks like, you know, from the ground, but what does it look like from a map? If you're if you're looking at these lines and you see them nice and tight coming off that ridge, it's a good significant drop, and then you see those lines start to spread apart more. That's signifying less elevation change along a, a distance. That's going to be your flatter area, and on the other side of that, you're probably going to see some tight lines again. So uh, if you if you can identify a bench, you got a great spot to to be able to hunt again either side of that bench, depending on your thermals, which gets into a whole new conversation. But you, uh, you read my mind again because I was literally going to make mention that because one of the things I've heard in the past is that you know deer, of course, like to use benches, but bucks will usually have a a or mature bucks will usually have uh, a what some folks who I talk to refer to as like a buck trail that is maybe 30 yards, 40 yards above that bench because they don't really want the social activity of being around the does and the fawns that are using that bench, but they want to be up above them in the morning to catch the thermals to see if there's any hot does using that bench. Yeah, absolutely. So if anybody listening that doesn't know what a thermal is, essentially whenever the sun rises in the morning, no matter how cold it is or how warm it is, when the sun rises, it heats up the atmosphere. And whenever the atmosphere heats up, uh, by nature, that air current can go uphill, literally go go up and, and rise. On the other hand, whenever that sun drops down over the horizon, the air starts to cool, getting ready for the night, that air and that current drops downhill, so it, it falls. Um, when you're hunting the side of the hill, you really need to pay attention to that because, like, say you're set up on a bench. Well, if you're if you're hunting from uh if you're if you're hunting a specific trail in the morning and you know that that sun is going to be heating up the the air currents i mean aside from what the wind is doing the the thermals are going to be playing into this as well so if you're off the side of a hill chances are you're not getting as drastic of a wind or as heavy of a wind as you would at the top of a ridge so those thermals are going to be playing an important role in this and and as that sun is heating up the atmosphere you're on if you're hunting a trail that's, let's just say, right in the middle of a ridge, to keep it simple, you're on the top side of that of that trail. You're you're uphill from that because that that air current is going to be traveling uphill, and anything on that deer trail that's right below you is not going to be able to smell you. On the other hand, if you're hunting a bench on the evening, you want to be on that lower, you want to be on that the edge of that bench downhill a little bit, so you can still get a shot at the trail. But whenever that sun is is dropping down over the horizon. And, and that that air is cooling it's it's heavier and it's dropping downhill and and you're going to have a better chance of not letting your scent creep across that bench because it's dropping down behind you so um thermals play a big part in in, in all of this and and you know I, I read about them for a long time and i'll never forget the first time i really truly understood a thermal it was uh you know my, my first years as a bow hunter i was 18 or 19 years old and i i remember we we're sitting we got a the best stand on the whole property, my dad and I, it's called Skyscraper. We've had tremendous success on this stand, and it's a it's an old, big old maple tree. And uh, I was sitting there one morning. It was it was really cold, and, and the sun came up. It's November. Just you're just glad to be alive as a bow hunter. And right. uh, the 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 sun is is blasting, and, and that man, that sun is finally hit me. It's warm. It's warming me up a little bit, and I'm just looking. And the maple trees will hold seem to hold their their leaves a, a lot longer than than some of the other hardwoods and well I guess yeah some of the other hardwoods in in, in the forest and 
so this big branch is extending out and it's got a bunch of leaves on it still. And I'm just watching this, this branch and it's just rising slowly, slowly. It's almost like it's just floating. It just rises. And then about 10 seconds later, it just drops. And then it just rot. And there was really, there was virtually no wind. And I'm looking at that thing like, this is unbelievable. And that's exactly what was going on was the thermal. So uh, that, that, that air was heating up and it was literally coming from the bottom of the hill, just everywhere where that sun was, was, was starting to warm up the atmosphere. It was bringing everything back uphill. So um, you got to pay attention to those thermals, especially when you're hunting terrain. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's actually a really cool uh, nature lesson right there. You had it live and in, in front of you. That's a, most yeah. folks don't get to see it kind of play out right in front of them. And when things like that play out like that, just, you know, hunting in general, whenever things play out in front of you, you know, how, how much more do you take away from that experience for the, uh, for the next set? Yep. No doubt. Um, so there was one thing that you mentioned there that I wanted to, to touch on. It was when we were, we were, um, talking about the uh, the saddles and the hourglass uh, the shape and we were talking about maybe you place a stand in the middle of that and you'd mentioned you know that was really getting down into the, the granular of micromanaging that specific location but what i wanted to ask was how important is it to use both a micro and macro view of a property when you're whenever you're uh, either planning a hunt or whether you're kind of determining what property you may hunt if you have options between the two yeah, so uh, the idea of, of micro and macro is, is really important as a hunter here. So when we talk about macro, it's really how does your how does the area that you want to focus on or, or, or just in general, how does that specific property fit into the, 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 the bigger scene? Right. And like like for example, th- this farm I'm on here, I really dialed into it because it was really um, from a travel perspective, the center of attention in what they call, I mean, out here they're called sections, which is a, a square mile, 640 acres. But in the surrounding sections of this property, so we're talking square miles, this is the biggest timber and the most kind of the center of attention for the travel, if if a deer hypothetically would travel from two miles away to, to, to try to get another mile to the east of me, they're probably going to have to come through here. So I'm looking at this farm and I'm like, man, this is from a macro perspective, from the, the whole deal. And there's some other sweet looking spots in, the, in this general neighborhood. This is really where we need to be. And um, see, a lot of times you don't have a the, the uh, ability or the option to just pick a place based on that. But you want to understand in general, the, the, the property you're hunting or the property you're just, you know, trying to decide on what to hunt or even what to buy. I mean, good gracious, if you're going to buy a property, you got to understand no matter how good it looks on a micro level in a macro level, what are you going to be experiencing there? Whether it's travel in general, is there a lot of hunting pressure around you? Is there a lot of, is there cover around? So you might have a bunch of cover right where you're at, but are there is there going to be um, areas of a bunch of food around you or or a lot of cover? So the macro perspective is really understanding how your property plays into the general scheme of of the Whitetails range. Uh, I'm hunting a 300 acre property here, and I can guarantee you that all of these bucks that I, I may be chasing or encountering this year, they're on other properties as well. Right. And it really gets drastic whenever you get into like. Like I hunt eastern Kansas, and, and we're hunting long long stretches of river bottom, not big blocks of timber. Um, you might encounter a buck literally that uh, summered 
and even has a, a core a, a core area that is three four miles away and he's looking for that hot dough and he's using those really tiny skinny little travel corridors to get from from that one hot dough that he that, that one dough that he just bred to the next one that he plans on breeding so you want to understand how that property is playing into your your over, the, the overall scene around you and then once you understand that and you make your decisions you know you, we dive into the map a lot more and we're really starting to think about food plot locations habitat improvements um, stand locations access Th these are these are our kind of when you get into the micro level of how you're studying a map so uh, the map can tell you a lot from the overall um, the overall scene of, of, of what's around you and how your property plays into that and then from there that the specific small details and intricacies of that specific property you're hunting uh, and, and how you're going to access and, and hunt uh, specific wind wind directions on on certain areas and crossings and funnels and where you're going to put your food plots and whatnot right. so one thing you mentioned just made me think of, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm just kind of thinking to myself how far things have come, how, you know, 20 years ago, you know, the the ability to kind of have that kind of information at your fingertips about your neighborhood and then just the, the, the down and dirty nitty gritty details of, of, a, of a property just weren't there. It was a lot of boots on the ground scouting and there's still an element of that that has to has to take place, of course. But, you know, how much time do you think hunters are saved by being able to get a fair amount of detail um you know by by scouting virtually with before they even put boots on the ground how much time do you think someone can save when whenever they hit a new property already kind of having a game plan in place that way they're not starting from ground zero i mean it's got to be you know hours if not days worth of time that they save yeah and that all really depends on what they can hunt if they're hunting a a, a 20,000 acre piece of public ground they they decide you know what I'm going to take one week off and I'm going to head to I don't know you're going to head to another state and you're going to you're going to dive in deep to a specific piece of public ground you're going to save um you're going to save a lot of time you're going to spend a lot of time looking at that map understanding um getting ahead of the game and trying to find these terrain funnels, these pinch points, these cover funnels, where, how you're going to access those places of maybe key stand locations. And you're going to really, once you get there, you're going to have a great idea of how that, that property lays. And then from there, you ground truth it. You're, you're looking for sign. You're just going and hunting and you're, you're adjusting based off your observations. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the, the, the maps play a critical role but at the end of the day, they're not going to hunt for you. You need to be able to go there and 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 uh, not necessarily. You're not necessarily. You're not going in blind because you're 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 using that map to understand uh, how you're going to approach it. But for the guy who is going to hunt the same property without a map and 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 see these terrain features and 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 the aerial uh, the aerial imagery to to a guy that's going to hunt that same piece and just hit the ground and run. You're, I would bet on the guy that's spending probably less time in the tree and more time with the map initially. <laughs> right, yeah. I yeah. mean, this year was my first experience, like I mentioned earlier, of, of looking at some out-of-state public land hunting in, in Ohio. And I spent a ton of time at look at, looking at maps before I ever got there because I really only had a Saturday. Um, you know, as you know, living in Pennsylvania, it was about a 
I drove back home part way and picked up some buddies and we headed the rest of the way out. So it was, you know, 400, 500 mile round trip or not round trip, but one way trip for me roughly. And I knew I only had a Saturday to spend. So we got out there at eight o'clock in the morning and scouted till five. And we were managed to scout a good bit of property because I had already looked at maps before I got out there. I kind of knew like the seven or eight locations I wanted to hit and really kind of like give it a good once over to figure out, okay, what tree would I want to climb, look for deer sign. And I, I ran in, I already kind of identified a lot of those land features you were mentioning where you were saying, you know, these are areas that deer like to travel, they like to use. Um, you know, whether they were saddles and draws, you know, one was at the head of a, uh, a drainage cut that ran down the, the, the side of a, uh, a ridge, um, which had great sign. Actually, the place I really am looking forward to, to, to hitting this year. Um, so I think that, you know, for me, it saved me probably days worth of time being able to look at maps in advance and get out there with a game plan. And actually, you know, we'll see how uh, we'll see how good of a job I did here in here in a week and a half when I get out there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. man. Well, best best of luck to you. You know, it's uh it's uh, i definitely try to um th- there's a fine balance between hunting hard and hunting smart and these these maps you know especially whenever you can look at a big piece of public ground and and if if it's me and i'm hunting, hunting a piece of public ground uh i'm going to try to find i mean regardless of interesting features that may be great to, for deer First and foremost, the only thing I'm looking for is where are the most difficult places to get as a human being? Yeah. Because if you're hunting with other people, um, I want to be that guy that's willing to go the extra mile to get in deep to where there's going to be some unpressured whitetails. And then from there, I'm going to find the features deep in how I'm going to get there without letting these other deer know or even these other hunters know. How am I going to get in there and then uh, attack that specific that specific area? So. Uh, that's exciting. I I, uh, I look forward to to being able to to get a little more time on the road uh, uh, in the years to come and, and and pick out some some public ground and and really uh, go after it kind of the way you are. Yeah, it'll be. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a full report, let you know how it goes, <laughs> success <laughs> or failure, either way. <laughs> But uh, I know you have. Uh, you, we've spent about an hour here together, and I want to be sensitive of your time. I know, as as uh, as the Phil and I both are, we're a uh, family men. There's always obligations along with that. But uh, before we let you go, I wanted to see if you had a uh, any uh, hunting story you'd like to share. I always like to kind of wrap things up with uh, someone sharing a story of you know from the beginning of the hunt to the end of the hunt to the story around the tailgate. If you if you if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Uh, you know, I, ironically, uh, I'll tell this one, you guys are PA boys and, and, uh, tonight I was actually, I took my dog and my son for, for a little stroll around the neighborhood and, and tonight was, reminded me exactly of the night I became a bow hunter and, and that was, um, man, I think it would have been, I was, uh, 17 years old and, uh, I've already bow, you know, I was already in the stand uh, before this with a bow, but tonight I really became a bow hunter. My dad took me out, and it was, uh, it was, it was probably right around now, is the end of October, and there was a storm coming in, and uh, we sat up on the on the end of this ridge, and uh, basically where it started to drop down just just a little bit on the end of this point. And uh, we knew it was just prime conditions. It was, it was awesome. We dealt with a bunch of warm weather the, the whole week. And it's like this front's coming in. We're fired up. You know, uh, from the little I know about bow hunting whitetails, I know it's going to be a good night to sit. And we get up on the end of this ridge and we're in this gnarly old oak tree. 
just a cool, literally, I mean, I'm a big fan of the trees you actually sit in too, aside from where they're at. It's always cool to, to you know, look at the, the tree that you're in. But anyways, we're in this gnarly old oak tree and one branch is hanging, reaching way out over the edge. And it, it was just a cool spot. And uh, uh, anyways, this front's rolling in. The wind is picking up. It's starting to get nasty out and it's getting dark fast. And um, we're basically the edge of this point. Um, it's It kind of opens up, but on the, it would be the southwest edge of, of that point it's, and it goes right along the contour of the ridge it's just thick really awesome thicket and uh we're basically just hunting the, the end of it and right there uh getting getting close to to last light uh this this big buck just rolls right up out of this thicket and being from pennsylvania um you know i mean i'm looking at this deer i'm like holy cow like this this deer's not even <laughs> around here he's a monster and and uh i just remember i could tell right away when i saw his body uh he just looked like a huge rectangle walking through the, i mean there was no question he was a buck w- without even seeing his rack and <laughs> and uh, anyways my dad's sitting right there with me and 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 you know i spotted him and then i was like dad there's a Look at this buck coming. He's skirting the edge. And he's basically scent checking the, the the. It seemed like he was scent checking the 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 point of the ridge that we were hanging on. But thankfully, we're high enough where our scent is blown off the back side of it. So he would have to get way around and then down the hill to be able to smell us. It'd be really tough. So it's a great setup. Anyways, he comes to the point and uh, my dad grunts at him. And this was really the first time. And this is the beginning, really, of my bow hunting career. So I've always grown up hunting in Pennsylvania where we're really not hunting the rut we're rifle hunting or gun hunting and and you're 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 seeing deer based on other people hunting those deer shooting at them you know right. so I'm, I'm watching this 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 big buck this big old son of a gun and my dad grunts at him and he just slammed on the brakes and he bristled all up and and uh next thing you know boom here he comes and he just he gets all stiff and he's he's just posturing coming up the the end of that point up right up onto our laps and and this deer is all and he's already big and he's all fluffed up and he just looks like he's ready to you know, just crush whatever made that sound you know so <laughs> uh I'm, I, i've got my bow in hand and uh he comes right up at about man at about seven you know 15 16 17 yards and it's so open that I'm, I can't draw yet. I have to w- wait until he gets behind this one tree. And it, boom, right there, he slams on the brakes and he looks right up at us. And I'll never forget my dad saying, "Close your eyes." So I I did because he was looking right at us. I didn't, you know, it, it, I didn't realize this, but it, when you look right at an animal, they that sixth sense really kicks into high gear, and they're about fixing to get out. So I close my eyes, and we both and I you know, the wind is just ripping. It's awesome. And I could, and then once he started walking again, I remember just opening my eyes and my dad at the same time saying draw. And it just was all one big smooth motion. And he got behind that tree and I drew on him. He was quartering away and I, I shot right where I was aiming. And unfortunately being a rookie bow hunter, when he was quartering away, I didn't take into account, man, I got to aim a little bit farther back. So I, I drilled him right where I wanted to shoot him but unfortunately that was right on his shoulder blade right. and it and it deflected off of him so you know this story doesn't end with a with a, a successful kill um but um so i i shoot 
and boom, it happens so fast and it's dark and he runs down over the hill uh, off the ridge. And, and I just remember, I just, I just started shaking like uncontrollably. And, <laughs> I, and I literally, I, I remember lo- turning around and looking at my dad and I, I just couldn't, I started laughing and I couldn't even stop laughing. I'm just so happy and so excited with this new, literally like adrenaline, like I've never felt in my entire life ripping through my body. And my dad was so pumped, you know? And so that was really the night that I became a bow hunter. And um, I'll never, ever, ever forget that. And unfortunately, we, we tracked that thing for a mile and a half, believe it or not. We ran out of blood a mile and a half. Wow. I, I cut his shoulder open. Wow. He, bled, he bled that far, and we got access to multiple properties that he got on. And he just, he just quit bleeding, and it was, it was a flesh wound. It was, you know, we, we kept tracking because he was still bleeding, but that arrow told us that we probably weren't going to get him that night. But it, it, at the end of the day, I'm sure he lived on for, for another, you know, another day um that was the most uh, one of the most awesome times i've ever experienced and it's like the people that i don't meet or the people that i meet that have never hunted before or bow hunted it's like those are the times that you can really only get in the woods you know so um awesome stuff that's a that's a great first experience for for bow hunting man yeah unbelievable yeah that's uh yeah, man, that's an awesome story. I mean, even though it didn't end with the end with the harvest, man, I, I I sometimes think some of the best stories are just exactly what you kind of described, or just those experiences that that will not ever forget. You know, because I mean, every now and then you get that buck that you won't ever forget. But if you take, you know, over the years, you take, you know, many deer or whatever, and I don't want to say that they necessarily lose the. It's not that they lose their luster necessarily, but so the the ones that got away once in a while seem to stick with you just a little bit more. Um, and, and maybe sometimes even, or, or, are more important to your success and your growth as a bow hunter, I think in, in the long term, which might be yeah. why we, which might be why we think about them and kind of romanticize about them as much as we do. Yeah. Clint, they're called nightmares. Yeah. But, uh, Hey Ben, I just want to say thanks, uh, for, for sharing some time with us, but before you, uh, before we let you go, uh, do you want to share any of the places where folks might be able to find out more about Huntera maps and what you guys are into? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. It was a great uh, conversation with you. If if anybody wants to find out more about what we do at Huntera, it's uh, www.huntera.com. It's H-U-N-T-E-R-R-A.com. Um, we've got Facebook page, Instagram page, and a YouTube account that we're pretty active with. And if anybody wants to follow just my personal hunting uh, my hunting stuff. I do a, a good bit of uh, good bit of content on Instagram. Just my name at Ben Harshine. So, um, yeah, that's how you guys get a hold of me. And uh, good luck this season to you. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, everyone out there. Go check out Huntera Maps. Uh, you won't be disappointed. They got some great stuff on their site, and, and certainly have a lot of content to share. Ben, again, just want to thank you for hopping on and, and, and sharing some time with us. And good luck to you and uh, and Iowa. I'll be kind of keeping up with you uh, via social media and so forth. Uh, hoping to see a, a big deer down here at some point. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, that is a wrap for today, folks. We'd like to thank Ben for joining us. And if you'd like to learn more about Huntera and all their offerings, please visit Huntera.com. Also, feel free to give them a follow across all their social media platforms. You can find each of those links in the show notes in the blog post. 
Also, would like to give a big thank you to our partners at Exodus and a big thank you to all of you who continue to tune in each week. Very much appreciated that you guys decide to spend an hour of your day every other week with us. Much appreciated for that. If you're enjoying the content of the podcast, uh, please feel free to subscribe to uh, the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, and you can also listen to us on Google Play. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave us a five-star iTunes rating. We'd be very much appreciative of that. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.